You know, as I think about all the division in the country, I couldn't help this week but think of what James has to say about different kinds of wisdom and the sources of the different kind of wisdom, uh, the origin of it, what it looks like in practice, the outcomes. Uh, such a huge contrast. And I think this right here sums up a lot of what we see going on today. I want to talk to you this evening about walking in wisdom. I hope you can see the outline here. If not, you might want to move somewhere where you can see it. But uh, we'll be in James chapter 3, verses 13 to 18. James begins by asking a question. He says, who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peaceable or peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. You can certainly see those two ways being played out in people's lives today. Have you ever heard of Oz Guinness? A very prolific Christian writer of earlier decades, a philosopher, an apologist, a very dedicated Christian man. He, uh, he writes about a private moment in history. He says in 1909, at the height of one of the busiest periods of immigration in American history, two immigrants from Europe stood at the rail of their ship as it passed by the Statue of Liberty in New York's harbor. One said to the other, won't they get a surprise when they hear what we have to teach? The speaker was Sigmund Freud. His companion was Carl Gustav Jung. Within six years of their arrival, their ideas had set up an entirely new paradigm in human thought of which no one at the time could have envisioned the consequences. More than 500 brand-name therapies now jostle to compete for millions and millions of clients. The counseling couch has become as, as American as the golden arches. Now, in the process, the United States became the world capital of therapeutic endeavor. 
Although America only had 6% of the world's population, it boasted over a third of the world's psychiatrists and over half of the world's clinical psychologists. Now, while this is not a tirade against psychology in America, we're invited in this section of the book of James to take a look at what the world thinks of wisdom and how the world expresses wisdom. Now, we know that God certainly wants us walking in wisdom. He invites us to walk in wisdom, but He invites us to walk in what kind of wisdom? His wisdom. You know, as we think about God inviting us to walk in wisdom, there's some great invitations in the Bible, aren't there? I think of Isaiah 55. Come, all who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me, and eat what is good, and your soul will delight in the riches of fear. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Another great invitation, Jesus in Matthew 11, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Still another one, Romans 10, 13, Paul says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's some great invitations in the Word of God, are they not? But another great invitation we find in the Bible is to walk in wisdom. You know, God tells us in the book of Proverbs to make sure that we lay a hold of wisdom. And where does the book of Proverbs say that wisdom begins? With the fear of God, the fear of the Lord. So God wants His children walking in wisdom. Look at how James begins in chapter 1, verse 5. He says there, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it'll be given to you. James is saying as you go through the trials of life, the hardships of life, the challenges of life, and you find yourself in a position of lacking wisdom for a particular situation, needing wisdom, ask God. God stands ready to give wisdom. I think of Solomon in the Old Testament. You know, God gave Solomon at the beginning of his reign a blank check, ask for anything. And what did Solomon ask for? Wisdom. And that pleased God. It greatly pleased God that Solomon would ask for wisdom. The problem was that Solomon didn't continue walking in the wisdom that God gave him. And so he basically wasted years and years of his life pursuing the world's version of wisdom. And what did he end up saying in the end? Vanity, vanity, all is vanity. And it was years before he circled back around. Folks, Solomon's life is a testimony to the fact that we've got to seek God's wisdom each and every day. But what is wisdom? How would you define it? Does wisdom consist merely in the number of degrees that hang on your wall of your office? 
Does it consist of your position at work and how many people you lead? Is that wisdom? No. It may just mean nothing more than you had money to stay in school a lot of your life, right? And earn degrees. Wood, hay, and stubble. Wood, hay, and stubble. How does God define wisdom? In God's sight, wisdom has to do more with how you live your life, how you conduct the affairs of life. That was primary in Hebrew thought. Whereas Greek thought was more about book learning, Hebrew thought was, yeah, book learning's great, but how do you apply that in your everyday life and everyday circumstances and challenges? And so look at what James asked. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. Wisdom is knowledge plus the ability to make proper application in your life. What does James say here? Pointing that out? He says, let him show by good conduct. And so that means how you respond to somebody in the grocery store line or whatever. You know, that's, that's going to show them whether you're a wise person in God's sight or not. How do you respond to people in everyday situations? Well, we either have the chance to operate out of the world's ideals or God's. And we're going to see in our text tonight that there is a wisdom from the world and a wisdom from God. And the Christian is to give attention to the latter. I want you to see, first of all, though, what James says here. He points out the wisdom that is from below. Then later on, we're going to see the wisdom that's from above. And, and we're, going to, we're going to see in each the operation, the origin, the outcome. The wisdom that's from below. It's, it's operation. Look at verse 14. If you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambitions in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. The wisdom of the world exalts man and tries to glorify man. Those who operate out of the world's kind of wisdom are generally trying to promote who? Themselves. James mentions bitter envy or jealousy. That's where you push yourself up. And a lot of people push themselves up by pushing others down. Envy and jealousy are ugly twins in the Word of God. It's been said that envy occurs when we have empty hands and we long for what somebody else has. But today, you know, it gets even worse than that, right? We have full hands, and yet we're still not satisfied. We're jealous because others around us have something that we don't. We covet their homes, their careers, their positions in life. We envy. 
And the biblical response is what? We're to be content with what we have, with what God has allowed us to have, what He's given us. But the envious person never is content. He or she always wants more and resents others if they're out front. And that's a characteristic of the world's kind of wisdom. It says you deserve more. You ought to resent others who have more. Whatever they have, whatever is in their account, I need to take it away from them and put it in my account instead. Then there's selfish ambition. Selfish ambition. Some people have to win, and they'll lie and cheat if they have to to accomplish that. They've got to be first by any means. They live by the motto that the end justifies the means. Instead of loving your neighbor as yourself, you only love yourself, you look out for yourself. After all, the world says what? Look out for number one. Also, there's the idea of manipulation in it. Folks, this is the world's way. This is the world's wisdom. And James says, if this description fits you, don't be arrogant. Don't be full of pride over it. Don't boast in it because it's sinful. Don't excuse it as only being human and, and so testify against the truth. Look at what he says about its origin. Verse 15. He says, Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. Earthly, in contrast to wisdom that's from above, this wisdom comes from fallen man. It's horizontal in its scope. It doesn't take its cues from God. It takes its cues from the world system. And sometimes it asks the question, what's everybody else doing? You know, that's one of the most dangerous questions you could ask, isn't it? Because most people aren't following God's course of action. But remember Psalm 1, the psalmist said, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. Romans 12 says we're not to be conformed to the world. So we shouldn't be asking What's everybody else doing? Now, you know, there's some examples in the Word of God that show even sometimes when godly people chose the way of worldly wisdom. I think about Abraham. Here God had given him the land, but the land falls into famine. So what's his thinking? His thinking is, I need to run down to Egypt. I need to rely on Egypt instead of trusting God. Or God says, I'm going to give you a son through Sarah. And they got impatient with that. And Sarah says, here's my handmaid, Hagar. Man's wisdom. I think about Lot. When Abraham said, look, we're too numerous to stay together. Pick out which direction you want to go. You go left, I'll go right. <laughs> you know, Whatever way you don't go, I'll... I'll go that way. But you have first choice. And what's the Bible say Lot did? He looked eastward and he looked out across the plain and he chose the plain out towards Sodom and Gomorrah 
because it looked good in his eyes. Instead of asking God, what do you want me to do? And ultimately, Lot, by doing so, ended up losing his wife. A lot of examples in the Bible about even godly people sometimes looking to man and man's ways for wisdom instead of looking to God. James says here it's also unspiritual or sensual. means it's, it's of the flesh. It relies on the arm of flesh instead of on God. Unspiritual means we try to do everything our way without asking God His way. We seek our solutions. And a lot of times we don't even try to bring God into the equation. But then James says it's, it's not only earthly and unspiritual, but what's he say thirdly about the origin of the world's wisdom? It's demonic. It's demonic. Folks, Satan is behind the wisdom in the world. We see from Genesis 3 that Satan didn't want Adam and Eve looking at God's truth. He wanted to distort everything and get them to view the world he wanted. The world as he wanted them to see it. Now folks, you can see very much from what James is saying here that there is indeed a spiritual warfare that is going on in the world. And, and people's source of wisdom they rely upon is very much a part of that spiritual warfare. Then what's he say about its outcome? Look at verse 16. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you, will, there you find disorder and every evil practice. Disorder. Some, your translation may say confusion. I think of the Tower of Babel. They were trying to do things their way and glorify man and make a name for themselves. And God confused the whole thing. Look at all the confusion in the world today. Look at all the disorder in the world today. Look at all the backbiting and jealousy and envy. What's that a sign of? It's a sign that we're not following God. Even the church can be guilty of that. What Paul say about the Corinthians? Paul said all these divisions that you have there in the church prove what? that I can't address you as those who are mature, but I'm still having to address you as those who are babes, who are children, because of all your division and all the disorder among you. It can creep into churches. Not only disorder and confusion, but what's he going to mention? Every evil practice. Every evil practice. What's the world's wisdom result in? Evil practice. The world in its wisdom has gone after not only vile things, but worthless things and evil things. And we put our money into worthless things and we spend our time on worthless things. Now, you know what? As, as you read these verses, it's, it's like... James is taking a snapshot of 
exactly what happens when we reject wisdom from God. I want you to take, take a moment, turn over to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. Because I want you to see this downward spiral that he's talking about. Romans 1, beginning in verse 18. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. So Paul's talking about here about God's truths available. In, in verses 16 and 17, he's talking about those who embrace God's truth. What's the end of that? Salvation and righteous living where the just live by faith. But now he's going to turn the corner and say, now let's look at everybody who suppresses God's truth, who rejects God's ways, who rejects wisdom from God and God's revelation. What happens then? He says, since what may be known about God is plain to them because God's made it plain to them for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became what? Fools and exchange the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lust. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they do what ought not to be done. They become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, <coughs> greed, depravity. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They're gossip, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy, although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death. They not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. 
So just like today. So they're rejecting wisdom from God, going their own way, suppressing God's truth. And three times he says, okay, God gives them over to their own ways. God gives them over. God gives them over. God gives them over. Three times. And that's part of his judgment. You see the way of the world in this. And the downward spiral. When men start choosing their way and their wisdom over God's way and God's wisdom. Folks, these passages, you'll notice, they don't start out with the bad vices. They start out with the rejection of God's truth. When you reject God's truth, then the floodgates to all this bad are opened. It's not a pleasant picture. Again, it's exactly what we're seeing in American culture. And what Paul is saying in Romans 1 is that's a sign in and of itself that we're already under the judgment of God. The judgment of God is not just eschatological future. It's even now in the fact that he's turning us over to go our own way. Years ago, we told God, you're not welcome in our classrooms, you're not welcome in our courts, you're not welcome in the marketplace or the public square. God, you have no business deciding who I am as a person or who I, or who I marry or in anything that I want to do. God, it's none of your business. That's the way we've chosen. <clears throat> we've sown to the wind and we're reaping the whirlwind. Well, contrast the, that though what he says next. The wisdom from above. Its origin, what's he say in verse 17? The wisdom that comes from heaven. It's from God. Again, God is the one who gives wisdom. James 1.5 James 1.17 says God's the one who gives every good and perfect gift. It's interesting too some of the grammar that James uses. He uses a perfect participle here signifying that the wisdom from above is coming down from God. In other words, God doesn't just give it one time and say, that's it. You've got your allotment. James is picturing God's wisdom flowing down in a steady stream. It's available to those who want it and seek it. What's its operation? Verse 17 is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. It's first of all pure. The wisdom from above is pure. It's pure because God is pure. God is holy and pure. 
And so wisdom from God is pure. It's unspotted from the world. It's refreshing. Instead of the vileness, the ugliness, the filthiness we see in the world, we see God's purity, His wholesomeness. You know, I don't know about you, but I've certainly noticed in my lifetime how much more vile and profane everything's gotten. But God's wisdom is pure. Against the backdrop of the filthy smog of today, God's purity is, is like a cool breeze at the start of each day. And then it's peaceable or peace-loving. What did man's wisdom lead to? Division, envy, fighting, self-seeking. God's wisdom is what? Peaceable. You know, when God's wisdom prevails, say, for example, in a meeting, it's almost like a, a whole different atmosphere suddenly comes over the meeting. There's, there's peace, there's love, joy, forgiveness, humility. People start talking to one another differently. That's what God's wisdom brings. The next word, considerate, is the word gentle. In fact, your translation may say gentle. It's a word that refers to strength under control. And it was a word that was used sometimes in, in ancient times of a horse that had been broken. A horse that had been broken still had all of its strength, but now that strength could be channeled into something productive instead of it just being a, a wild, out-of-control animal. Oh, think of that, a horse broken, productive, whereas before, nobody could ride it or do anything with it. What's next? Submissive or literally willing to yield or reasonable. It's the only place these words right here occur in the whole New Testament. And the words mean that when man is walking in God's wisdom, he'll, he'll have a teachable spirit. He'll be open to instruction. When he's wrong, he'll admit it. He's somebody that you can reason with. You know, I've known of Christians before who would brag and say, I don't care what anybody says. I, I'm not going to budge. Well, praise God if you don't budge, if you're standing on an essential doctrine. But if it's something else, be teachable. Be reasonable. James is saying the wisdom from God is it's a reasonable person. You can sit down and 
Have a conversation with them. Something productive. Then he says, full of mercy and good fruits. Full of mercy and good fruits. Again, opposite of what we see in the world. Today, when somebody's down, there'll be a pylon, right? To push the person even further into a hole. We've lost the ability to show mercy. We want it, but we don't show it. Today, it's the attitude, if you're not on my side, I'm going to stop at nothing to ruin you and grind you under my feet. And it's also full of good fruit. The wisdom from above. Good fruit. <laughs> Write down Galatians 5.22. The fruit of the Spirit. That ninefold fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, kindness, meekness, gentleness, self-control. Now, the next word. Impartial, without partiality. This word can mean that you don't waver, you're, you're single-minded. On the, on the more obvious side, it means you treat everybody fairly. You don't treat people differently because of who they are or what they have. But then again, on the other level, it means unwavering. You don't take one position one day with one group of people and then another position tomorrow with another group. Whether, whether it's with people or with your principles, you're consistent. You're unwavering. And then what does he say? Sincere. The wisdom from above is sincere or without hypocrisy. You're not a two-faced person in your conduct. Now, I've told you before in a Sunday morning message that in the ancient world originally, uh, to be two-faced, to be a hypocrite, be two-faced, literal, was a good thing. It came out of the Greek theater. You've seen the mask that they would wear. A person who was not sincere, they were a hypocrite, they were two-faced, simply meant they were talented. They could wear one mask in one scene and another mask in another scene. But then as time went on, it, it came to refer to somebody that you couldn't trust. It would be one way here and another way here. They, you know, they were two-faced with the negative connotation that we have today. Nobody wants to be around somebody like that. James says here that the wisdom from above is sincere. It's not hypocritical. It's not two-faced. And then, what's he say about the outcome of it? Verse 18. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. Again, what was the outcome of worldly wisdom? It resulted in what? Confusion and every evil and worthless thing. Confusion, disorder, and every evil practice and worthless thing. But God's wisdom results in peace, mercy, 
fruitfulness. And I want you to notice the repetition here of peace and fruitfulness. When we exercise God's wisdom, the peace and the fruitfulness that is sown is also what is reaped. There's a compounding effect. It's like the old saying, you reap what you sow. You sow peace and fruitfulness and it comes back to you in abundance. Now, folks, is there any comparison at all between this? There's not, is there? No comparison at all. And I, I, I just about promise you, especially those still working or in school, probably 95% of everything you see is right here. As Christians, we need to show this kind of wisdom. We need to show that kind of wisdom. And you know what? Much of the outcome of your life as you interact with, with people, much of the outcome of your life is going to depend on which wisdom dictates your life. Maybe tonight you need to see that perhaps you've been living your life out of man's wisdom. And because of that, there's all kinds of disorder and confusion and conflict and division that's a part of your life. Maybe today you need to ask God to help you to be renewed in your thinking and, and be a part of His in His Word every day. Day because in God's Word we have God's wisdom and as we're saturating our minds and hearts on His Word we're, we're changing our thinking. What was the old computer saying? Garbage in, garbage out. You know, what you put in is what's going to come out. We need to be putting this into our thinking. If, if you want to know today how to, how to get from this to this Start dwelling more in the Word. Maybe there's a matter today that you need God's wisdom over. And again, in the words of James 1, 5, what do you need to do? Ask. God, I'm in such and such situation. You know what I'm faced with. God, I need your wisdom. Maybe a meeting you're going to be a part of tomorrow, sales meeting, whatever. God, I need your wisdom. Help me to display this instead of what I know I'm going to encounter from most of the people there. Any comments? good day to, to give us this. <laughs> it, it shows some contrasting ways. Absolutely.
Yeah, because in the world, we see nothing but disorder, confusion, and conflict. That's all we see, basically. Again, as the church, we have the invitation to, to be salt and light. tonight to pray together and we don't have to be limited to what's up here of course is there somebody who would open our prayer time volunteer yes I will thank you Dennis Lord God we thank you tonight for bringing us here to hear these words from our pastor, Lord, we, the words are from you. And they're appropriate for the times that we're living, Lord. And as the day went by, it, it just it seemed like we needed your wisdom more than ever. Father, many of us have spent months and years talking about politics and we finally concluded that it was your plan that you were in control and Lord we just had to turn it over to you and we know you have a reason for the way things are going and we thank you that you are in control and Lord we just pray for our country we uh, pray that and we're thankful Lord that nothing serious happened today we didn't expect it and we just thank you for that and we pray for our country as we go forward, that we might get together, be together, Lord, and to just go forward. We know that it's not going to be to serve you, Lord, except for Christians. And we just pray that we can make some inroads into others. Father, I pray for tonight for Eli and Carol Brandemus. They, uh, they're my families, and uh, they've had a rough go. And Lord, we just pray and know that you'll step in and take care of Eli and uh, give Carol some rest and also for Joel Hyatt. Lord, they never did find anything wrong, but he is in rehab and he needs your guidance and Brenda needs your comfort. And Lord, we thank you for them. We thank you for all the people in our church that have needs tonight. We don't know them all. We just know that you do. And we turn them over to you, Lord, for your ministry in their life. And we thank you for this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Any others? Father, I'd just like to lift up our church leaders and the church leaders across this nation 
that God give them an unusual amount of boldness, Father. The willingness to stand firm on Your Word and not to back away from it. Father, I pray that You just put a hedge of protection about them and that uh, You would just bless them in their ministries when they stand on Your Word. Help us, Father, when I think think of the things that that we could possibly be facing that... uh, we would purpose in our heart now that we're going to please God and we're not going to please man. Give us, Father, the courage, give us mercy, and give us grace to be the people that you would have us to be. In Jesus' name. Father, help us to be reminded that this world is not our home. We are to be a part of your kingdom's work. And Lord, we need to be reminded of that at times when we see things in the country that are very discouraging to us. When things don't go our way with politics and leaders. Lord, remind us that we serve King Jesus. And He is King of kings and Lord of lords. And one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that He is Lord. What a glorious day that will be. And help us to be looking for that time as Titus 2.13 says that We're looking for our blessed hope, the glorious arrival of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And as Titus points out, we are to be looking by living holy, by being different. Lord, give us boldness, give us courage, And as we carry out our convictions, help us to do so with your wisdom and not the wisdom of the world. Father, I would pray that the church would be strengthened to be more of an influence in the world. Lord, help us to make more of a difference than than we're obviously making. 
Lord, I pray that you'd help us to reach souls for Christ, to disciple the saved, that we would be about equipping ourselves for the work to which you've called us, and that we would also be about equipping others. Lord, you've given us a mission. You've told us we're in the world, but we're not of the world. We've this world's never been our ultimate home. And so, Lord, help us to do your work while it is yet day. For the night is coming when no man shall work. Help us to redeem the time. For the days are evil. Lord, I pray that in our community here that we would influence many for Christ. That we'd be a lighthouse of hope. That we would stay true to the gospel in all that we do. Lord, we pray for our people in need. We've written their names on the board, but there's many others. You know each need. We pray for your healing touch and your power. God, we... We pray for the college ministry and ministry of young adults that, that uh, the new service they've begun, they've reached many young people in our community for Christ. God, I pray for Katie Cloris, who we'll be hearing from very soon about going to Richmond for her training and then being appointed to a foreign mission field. We pray for Brandon Brooks who's already on a mission field for the Brindles. Lord, there's others in our congregation that have loved ones associated with other mission enterprises besides the IMB, but they're, they're doing your work. God, strengthen them for the work to which you called them. God, may, may our lives be fruitful for you. God, may we dwell constantly in your word that we would abide in you and you in us. That's, that's the greatest challenge we face every day, just dwelling in you, abiding in you and you in us. Because out of that, it's going to flow the issues of life as far as how we conduct ourselves and what we do. Lord, help us to, to know you better, to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord. And to contend earnestly for the faith that was once and for all delivered to the saints. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.